So we are in a series that we've entitled Seven, looking at Jesus giving specific input to seven real churches that were around about 2,000 years ago. And one of the things we've discovered along the way is that the culture may be different, the times have changed a lot, but people are pretty much the same. And what people experienced back then are some of the same things that people wrestle with today. And to each of these churches, Jesus gave a specific way in which they could walk with him. Today, we're going to take a look at a wake-up call for a dying faith. Let me start with this principle up front because I think we're going to see it in what Jesus says. Appearance is not always the same thing as the reality, right? Things can look one way, but the reality is something different. And maybe the reputation is really great, but the reality maybe is not so great. Let me give you a historical example of that, and maybe you've heard about this. It was classified as a national secret for 50 years after it happened. It takes place near the end of World War II, and the Allied forces are closing in on Nazi Germany, and they're just about to cross the border into Germany, and some of the Nazi generals are trying to figure out a way, how do we salvage something out of this you know, war, and how can we maybe sue for peace if we launch an offensive? And so they wanted to get some intel and they sent some planes out to get some images of what the enemy forces looked like. And this is an actual aerial reconnaissance photograph from that time. And this picture in this tiny little village here was reproduced again and again and again. Virtually every village they looked at, they saw amounts of tanks and armament and of all different kinds in masses that they had never seen before. And they realized, you know, what is amassed against us is far beyond our comprehension, far beyond what we ever thought. And so the offensive was never launched. Here's the secret, though. And this was classified for 50 years. If they had just gone out with darts, literally darts, they could have won the battle, at least launched the offensive. Why is that? Because what you see isn't necessarily what it was. Because what they created, due to the Allied lines being so stretched out, they created what they called the ghost army. Many of those tanks were inflatable toys <laughs> that were positioned there to look a certain way. And even some of the other instruments of war there, you can tell just by the tires, you know, looks like a, an inner tube were a lot of show, but there was no reality. And so appearance is not always the same thing as reality. Well, today, we're going to take a look at Jesus' words to a ghost church. And from a distance, the reputation is really great and looks really good. The reality is something different. And what looks like it's really full is actually pretty empty. And Jesus is going to issue a wake-up call. Here's how it begins. And to the angel or to the messenger of the church in Sardis, right? And for us to understand some of the metaphor, some of the imagery in what Jesus is going to say, it's important for us to understand what life in Sardis was really like. You know, strange, you know, 
piece of history there. The folks in Sardis referred to themselves as sardines. No, I'm just kidding. I made that up. Um, just seeing if you're paying attention. Um, but they were, in the ancient world, the very first city to mint their own coins. And there was a river that ran by the city. It had gold in it. And so they were, what are we going to do with all this gold? Let's make some coins. The first people, at least in the Western world, to do so. And on this coin, you see the image of that city, and it's a lion. And this city had the reputation of being the king of the jungle, of being the ruler of Asia. And for a long time, it served as a centerpiece where armies were amassed. Why did armies amass there? There was a topographical reason for that. Right down the middle of the city is this outcropping that has sheer sides on three of those different sides there. And so it was a safe place that if you ever wanted to retreat and be safe from any enemy advance, you just went up to the top of this hill. They had built a fortress up there with walls, and it had been viewed for a long, long time as being absolutely impossible to take over the citadel on top of that hill. But then, let me tell you a story, true story. And this is the stuff of movies, but this actually happened in Sardis. Once, they were conquered. And it happened in the most unusual way. The Persian army had been advancing, and so the troops in Sardis went up to the citadel, and they locked themselves in. And one night, a soldier was looking over the wall, and he was wearing a helmet, and his helmet went off and began to go down that steep embankment. Well, the Persian army is watching from a distance, and they watch this soldier leave their encampment and make his way down a path that was really hard to see. And they're like, there's a way up. And so that soldier got his helmet, went back up, and in the middle of the night, the Persian army, single file, went up that narrow path, went into the citadel, expecting that they would then have to battle the guards that were on duty there. But you know what they found? Everyone was asleep. And so the people in the citadel wake up the next morning, and you know what? They were under new management. They were asleep on the job and an enemy had crept in and now they had been defeated without one drop of blood being shed and one battle being fought. Keep that image in your mind. And to the angel, to the messenger of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And part of what this helps us understand is that Jesus knows the truth about us, about all of us. And I think there's a very human condition here that reputation can be one thing and the reality can be different. And I think we all experience that in different kind of ways. But here in Sardis, Jesus looks and says, you're running on your reputation. And it looks great from a distance, but up close, it's not real. And there's something hollow. And there's something missing. And so what is Jesus going to do? Is he going to say, aha, I found you out. And man, now are you going to pay? No, Jesus is going to call them to wake up. Because he doesn't want people to live in the tension of what people think versus the reality. He doesn't want us to live in a sense where we have to pretend that we're one thing when in reality we're something different. He's going to call people to wake up and to come to him and to walk with him. And so here's what he says, wake up. And that can also be translated, be on your guard. 
And now with the historical piece, we know why Jesus is leaning into that metaphor. You're asleep on the job. And while you've been asleep, an enemy has crept in and taken over. So wake up, be on guard, and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Now, it's really important for us to understand this second part here, because if we just read this and interpret it this way, to say Jesus looks and says, hey, I have not found your works complete. Well, here's what Jesus is saying. Try harder, do more, get after it, get busy. That's not what he's saying. And again, there's a historical image that Jesus is leaning into. In the city of Sardis, there is a temple to the goddess Artemis impressive thing, and what they did when that temple was being constructed, they opened it before it was actually fully completed, before it was done. I think we know what that is like. Anybody ever do a renovation project? Yeah, I'm going to paint that wall anytime now. And then a year later, the wall is still, you know, waiting to be painted. I actually saw this sign. If a man says he will fix it, he will. There is no need to remind him every six months. And moms, that's just a present for you on Mother's Day, okay? And so Jesus says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. He's not saying, get busy, get to work. This is that same image of it looks complete, but it's not yet done. It looks great from a distance, but it's hollow. And so Jesus calls them to wake up. It lacks the reality. And then remember what you received and heard. Keep it, hold on to it tight, is how that can be translated as well. And repent. And we've talked about this the last number of weeks. Repent is this idea, change of mind followed by a change of direction. It means to turn our lives around and go and do a 180. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I come against you. This is Jesus saying, if you stay asleep, one day you'll wake up and you will be under new management. And he's not saying that as a threat, as a statement of reality, of a God who wants people to live in a thriving relationship with him and not live a life of pretending of the difference between reputation and reality. So let me ask you this question. Do you think the words that are spoken to Sardis 2,000 years ago, do you think they still have relevance for churches today? That we need to be awake, that we need to be on guard, that we need to be, you know, in a thriving relationship with Jesus, that we can, you know, maybe get comfortable with who we are and what we understand, you know, that God has for us. Here's one of the unique parts of life in Sardis. Unlike any other of the churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation, they did not have any opposition. Every other one, it talked about a group or, you know, the throne of Satan or things, you know, that sounded big and scary and were oppositional in nature. Sardis has none of that. Was it because they were so comfortable? Was it because there was nothing against which to push back? Was it that they just took it for granted? We don't know exactly why. But Jesus wants them to be alive, to be honest, and to be in a thriving relationship with him. And I think this message to churches about the potential to fall into maybe comfortability or maybe to kind of fall asleep a little bit, and not just for a church as a whole, but maybe, you know, because churches is us, 
maybe for an individual. And when you think about the day in which we live, what are the words that come to mind when people think about church? I was going to kind of ask you to shout out, but I'm not sure, you know, my self-esteem could handle that, you know. But there are words that I've heard, you know, along the way, like, you know, boring, irrelevant, um, something that just is missing the boat of our day. And maybe this picture of somebody that you may be familiar with is what was happening in Sardis and can happen, not just in a church as a whole, but for an individual too. Check this out. <laughs> so let's talk about this in the time that we have left. How do you bring a dying faith back to life? And I believe that these principles that are mentioned in a very staccato, very quick fashion by Jesus can not only bring a dying faith back to life, but maybe a dying marriage or a dying relationship, a dying friendship, that these are the same principles that can breathe some life back into something that is on its way toward dying. And this is said by Jesus to people that he cares about, not because he's caught them and now he's gonna punish them, because he wants them to live in a thriving relationship with him. So let's talk about three things here. The first is wake up, and we've read that a couple times. And Jesus says, you need to wake up. They've been doing reputation management at the church in Sardis for a long, long time. And I don't know if you've experienced this. I know that I have that as your reputation is one thing, but the reality is another thing. There comes a point in time when you recognize the distance between those two things that it creates a sense of tension, and all of a sudden, boy, I've got to try to keep the reputation alive. But then I also struggle with knowing what the reality is. And it makes it so that we are never fully comfortable and never fully alive anywhere. Because in the one sense, we might be in an environment like this, like we were just a few moments ago, singing those incredible songs about realities about God. But maybe there's something else going on in our life some other time. And we think... Well, I don't know, I feel a little bit dead inside or it feels a little bit dishonest to sing those things because I feel this tension. But then we're over in that other place and then we remember the God part and we're never comfortable there either and there's just this growing tension. And what can happen in those moments is we try to hide it and we try to manage it and we try to look the part and wherever we find ourselves and man does that exact a toll on the human spirit and we get tired and we get discouraged and it gets really, really hard and we try to hide it. Anybody know what spanks are? <laughs> yeah, it's this elastic material, you know, that you can put on that can kind of change, you know, the shape of what you look like. I, I'm wearing triple spanks today. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But right, we can, in a spiritual sense, we can be doing that, playing a little bit of a game of hiding the struggle or the tension that we experience inside of our lives. And Jesus says, let's not pretend. This was never meant to be a place where you acted one way, but the reality was something so different. And God calls his community to be a place of just honesty. And, and it, 
And it's okay even not to be okay because that's the human experience across the board for every single one of us. And yet it's so easy to play the part and to present one thing but have the reality be something different. And so do you experience any of that tension? Maybe, let me ask you know, this question in a, in a pretty probing way and just between you and God, what is the biggest lie that I'm telling myself? Right, that substance in my life, I, I, can, I can manage that. And I can give it up anytime I want. Said every addict ever. That relationship that I kind of know is outside of, you know, what God has for me. Last couple of weeks, you know, we've had this phrase in there about sexual immorality, which talks about sexuality experienced outside of a covenant relationship called marriage. And maybe that creates that tension. Is it maybe a relationship where we know that we have not done right by somebody, but we're going to make it their issue. And we're going to wait for them. I don't know what that may look like for you, but there are lies that we can tell ourselves. I once heard this and it stuck with me. The most likely person that I am going to lie to is myself. And Jesus calls us away from that and calls us to honesty and calls us to experience even the hard things in reality. Wake up, he says. You've been going and running on reputation and I want the reality to measure up. Second thing that Jesus tells him is work out. Check out what he says here. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. So they're not totally dead. Are there any Princess Bride fans, you know, in the room? It's just one of the greatest movies of all time with a lot of the best quotes of all time. And there's that one section where the hero looks like he has died, but Magic Max has him on the table and he says, he's not totally dead. He's only mostly dead, which means he's partly alive, right? And that's what Jesus is saying to this church here. Look, you're on the way toward a dying faith, but strengthen what remains. There is still some spiritual life. And rather than trying to do CPR on what has died, breathe some life into what is still alive and build that and cause that to flourish and to thrive. Focus on what is alive, not on what is dead. So maybe a question for us to ask ourselves, what still brings me life that I can strengthen? And if you feel like maybe, you know, you've been a little bit spiritually dead on the inside or it just feels like, you know, the prayer's been bouncing off the ceiling and the words just lay on the page, where is there signs of spiritual life? I'll tell you what it is for me, and I don't know why this breathes life into me, but when I exercise and listen to music at the same time, it does wonders for me. Now, I used to run and listen to music, and then my knees and hips went bad. Just a word of advice, don't get old. It's bad for your health. So now, what I do is I go to the gym, and I listen to music, and I don't know why that works, but it does. But not everyone is wired the same way. The other thing that I like to do is I like to read. I like books. If that works for you, you know what? Do that. 
And maybe for other people, you know, getting a new translation of the Bible all of a sudden brings verses to life. If that works for you, then do that. And maybe jumping in and serving is what makes you come alive. Right, faith can be all up in our heads, but for some people, rolling up their sleeves and getting involved and doing something for the sake of God brings them to life, then do that. What is it that works for you? Breathe life into that. And then he says, go back, go back. Go back to where you once belonged. That's actually a Beatles lyric, so don't do that. But I'll, I'll, I'll say this, that what he's doing here is something that is so different than what I would encourage people to do back in the day. Can I tell you, people would come to me, this was quite a while ago, and say, you know what, my spiritual life is kind of dried up, what should I do? I would often say this, you know what, pray more. I read the Bible more, and show up at the deal more, and get involved and serve more. And then I didn't do that anymore. And you know why? Because I hit a major dead spot in my own spiritual life. You say, that happens to pastors? Yes, pastors are people too. And I did, though, the thing that I had always encouraged other people to do. And I prayed more, and I read more, and showed up at the deal more, and got involved more. And you know what it did? It made me feel even worse. Because I could have always prayed more, and read more, and done all those things more. So what is it? What allows us to experience life when we feel like it's ebbing away? And Jesus does not go in the direction of saying, you know what? Get busy, try harder, do more, do better, perform more. Instead, he says, remember, go back. Remember then what you received, past tense, and heard past tense. Hold on to it tightly. Keep it and repent. What is he talking about? He's talking about going back to the beginning where it all began. He's talking about going back to your first love, which is what he said to another church in the city of Ephesus. Don't look to yourself and get yourself all busy and loaded up with guilt. He says, go back to where it began in your relationship with God. Go back to your first love. Go back to where you realize what it takes to make anyone right with a holy God. Earlier in the book of Revelation, here's what John wrote to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God. Priest can also be translated as a, a bridge, a drawbridge to God. And you know what this helps us understand? Where did it begin? How did it begin? Oh, it begins with the love of God. Oh yeah, and what did he do? He freed us. What did it take by his blood to free us from our sins? So let me do a little bit of an exercise here for just a minute. Can you think of the worst thing that you've ever done? The worst thing you've ever said? The worst thing that you have ever um, desired? Now turn to somebody and, no, I'm just gonna, I'm kidding, we're not gonna do that. Right, that's really scary because I don't know how easily that comes to you. It comes real easily to me. Now think about this. What did it take 
for that to be taken care of so that somebody like me or somebody like you could be in a relationship with God. It begins with the love of God. It requires his sacrifice on the cross. He took whatever you were just thinking about and he took it on himself and he made payment for it. That's where it begins. And so when spiritual life is on life support, where do we go? We often look to ourselves and we wind up loading ourselves up with guilt. Jesus says, go back, remember. Go back to the beginning and where it all started. Think of it this way. Imagine being brought into a courtroom where God is the judge, the righteous judge, and the case against you is put on display. And every action, every word, every motivation of the heart is exactly right. And it's not that pretty. And the judge declares the only sentence that's right, and that's guilty. But motivated by love, the judge gets up, takes off his judge's robe, embraces you because he loves you, and then goes off and serves your sentence. That's what it takes. And if we want to know where our faith is rekindled and brought back to life, we need to remember, we need to go back, we need to understand that first love yet again. There's a story about a great Swiss theologian. His name is Karl Barth. Karl Barth wrote this huge theological book. This guy's like as smart as five people put together. And as they're launching this book, a group of reporters come to him and they ask him this question, what is the greatest theological thought that you have ever encountered in your life? And they're thinking, boy, we're going to hear something really deep and profound that we've never heard before. And Karl Barth thinks for a moment and he says, the deepest thing, most profound thing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's going back. That's remembering where it all begins. And so a question to ask ourselves, am I preaching the gospel to myself every day? To remind myself, what did it take for somebody like me to be right with a holy God? Oh yeah, God's love. Jesus' sacrifice. That's what it took. If not, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. You could wake up one day and be under new management. And yet, you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never, you see the word never, that is the strongest way you could state that. I will never, ever, ever, ever blot his name out of the book of life and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And do you know what this tells us? That one day when this life is over, if you have put your trust in Jesus, you're gonna stand in heaven and the reality about who you and I are is gonna be on full display. 
See, Jesus came to save the real you. Not a reputation, you or me, the real you. And he knows the truth about us. And one day, for who we really are, we will be welcomed there by the one who died on a cross to take our sins to say, I know him, I know her. I paid the price for them. They belong to me. And they will never be blotted out. Jesus longs to create a community here that matches the one that's coming where the truth will be on full display. But everyone there will understand we're only here by the love of God and by the sacrifice of God in our place. And the sooner we can approach that here, the more it'll be a little bit more like heaven on earth for people like us. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a great way of saying, don't think about anybody else. <laughs> this is for us. It's for you and for me. And I think what this helps us to know is that following Jesus is an invitation to a movement. It's not about a structure. It's not about an institution. It includes that. But it's a movement of following the one who has shown us his love and died in our place not a museum. And that can happen. But Jesus calls us to a thriving relationship with him. Would you bow your heads together with me? And Lord Jesus, forgive us for the times that we just take you maybe for granted or it just comes so easily that we forget what it takes to make people like us right with a holy God. And God, would you just reignite in our hearts a sense of wonder over how far your love would go, cause you to leave heaven and die a painful death to make payment for us so that we could be alive with you. And God, for every single one of us, would you just help us to breathe life into the reality of these hearts of ours so that we follow you all the more. And all along the way, God, we thank you for so much grace and so much patience with us. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.